Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, so... um, Welcome to the 36th episode. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the ancestors today, or at least we're going to start out talking about the ancestors today. It is November 2nd. Um, so November 3rd. It's November 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for catching me up. Um, it's November 3rd. And so um, this week we had Halloween, right? Um, and that comes from a, hel- a holiday called Samhain, which looks like it's Samhain, is what it oh. looks like, right? But it's pronounced Samhain. Um, it was a, a Celtic holiday. And Dia de los Muertos, right? So, and it's interesting because like all three of, and I'm sure there are lots of other cultures that have similar um, ideas about this time of the year and similar practices that go along with that, or at least develop practices to sort of address the same thing. Um, and all three of these are recognizing that the veil is very thin right now, right? The veil, the veil between, between living and dead, right? Okay. So, um, or between this realm and other realms. Um, and then, uh, so that the Halloween from All Hallows Eve, right, is this sort of idea that the veil is very thin and things can come through, and then the next day is All Saints Day, right? Um, so there's this, of course, couched in this Christian terminology of this fight between good and evil, about, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then Samhain um, and Dia de los Muertos both are much more about just recognizing the ancestors and honoring those that have gone before, right? So, again, seeing that the veil is very thin this time of year. Um, and tonight is the full moon. So um, so if, if any of y'all have had trouble sleeping this week or have had really crazy dreams or have felt particularly sensitive to stuff, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a full moon happening the same week that, um, that there's all this activity. So, um, and... Uh, so it's, so in sort of talking about the, the, the ancestors and honoring those that have gone before, um, because it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, if you're not necessarily attached to your blood relatives or you don't like, if people are like, Oh, I have to have this like totally full, um, family tree before I can even start doing ancestor (laughs) veneration, um, I have on my mother's side three different branches that are very, very short because they start with babies left on doorsteps. So we have no idea um, where they came from, right? So, um, and it's one of those things that um, as you just sort of make space for that, I've found that I'm learning more and more about where where I came from. So it doesn't just have to be your blood ancestors. It could be... Absolutely. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be blood ancestors. So it can also be, um, spiritual ancestors or intellectual ancestors. So if there's somebody that you really, really admire and you're just incredibly attracted to that person and, you know, when you were in eighth grade and you had to Mm -hmm. do a project, you like read all the stuff about them and you've always been fascinated, like that is probably an intellectual or a spiritual ancestor for you. Hmm. Right. So, so it can be someone that you're incredibly attracted to that you feel like 
they had this amazing idea and what if it, what would the world be like if we'd followed through with this instead of it sort of falling off? Do you know what I mean? That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Or if people had understood it properly, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in the show, um, uh, Mozart in the Jungle, it's an HBO show that's kind of Sex in the City meets the New York Philharmonic, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Jason plays viola in some company, in some community symphony. So we, we watch this show and a friend of mine is in it actually. So, um, so we started watching it cause my friends in it. Um, the first couple episodes are kind of difficult, but after that we love it. <laughs> we really love it. Um, and so, um, Jason loves to like guess the music as it's coming and that kind of stuff. So, um, <laughs> but there's this one conductor in there that, um, has this music stand with a folder on it that has all these little pictures of different composers Right. Mm -hmm. So he comes down in the morning in his bathrobe and is like, good morning, Amadeus. Hello, Ludwig. Right. Like, so he (laughs) greet, and that's basically an ancestor altar. Ah, interesting. So it's it's really interesting to see these ways that we sort of naturally gravitate to these things, right? Even like, in non-religious context. Absolutely, because it is just so very human to do this, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And it does satisfy something in us. It, it scratches itches in us. And it's also like when you're spending time thinking about those that have gone before and those that come after, then it, it anchors us. Right. Like there's a sense of place and belonging. It contributes to our sense of purpose. If I have an idea of um, where I came from and actually I made a comment about this online this week with someone. One of my first bosses actually would make us take our breaks and every time she would say, people died for you to get that 15 minutes. Go out there. I don't care what, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to do, you know, or I'm trying to quit smoking or whatever it was, right? <laughs> I just want to get this done. Like people died for you to get those 15 minutes. Go stand outside. Take the break, right? Wow, so that's a, having a sense of what what happened to get you to where you are today, right? right? Yeah. So. Um, and then if we're thinking about who's coming after, um, there's a lot of different um, in American indigenous tribes, and I'm sure there are tribes all over the world that have this idea of the seven generations, right? That whenever you're going to make a decision, you oh. think about how that's going to impact seven, seven generations, generations to come, right? So um, so if we're moving through, if we're, if we're cultivating the sense of belonging, um, as far as where we've come from and where we're going. And again, for those who come after, they don't have to be blood descendants. It doesn't have to be the sort of, um, oh, well, I didn't have kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still young people in your life. You can get involved with mentoring. There's um, maybe intellectual work that somebody's been working on, and there's going to be the people that come through the library and pick that book up. There's a a thing um, in... um uh, I, I am, like, in a lot of, like, um, marketing and personal growth kind of circles. And and um, one of the things that, you know, a lot of, like, bloggers and thought leaders are doing is um, what's called creating a tribe, which is basically a group of people 
that um, share a belief or a purpose, certain values, um, you know, that um, are on a certain mission or, you know, or it's a, you know, it's a, you see it a lot in like forums, right? Like chat forums where you have people who are all there to learn about the same thing. They're trying to accomplish the same thing. They have, you know, similar values, that kind of thing. And so that's what popped into my head as you were talking about that and, and, you know, you know, in terms of like now and in the future, your tribe, your people, um, can be the people who share, you know, your values, your vision for the world, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that, um, and there has been a lot of commercialization and commodification. I, I saw an article the other day where the woman was like, an email list is not a tribe. Oh, <laughs> so they were yeah. really criticizing the sort of commodification of tribes, um, which is something really interesting to think about because we're in the space where where those things are beginning to unravel, right? Which is part of why there's a lot of fear because people, and we'll, we'll get to that later in the podcast today. Um, so, but it is so very human to want the tribe to want to feel a sense of belonging to want. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, uh, like being aware of those who came before you and looking out for those that will, that will follow you is a really great way to be really grounded in that idea because it is a sense of belonging, right? It pegs Mm -hmm. us down in that place of, in that, um, it pegs us down in place and time and, and, and helps us with that purpose. And then, then it becomes easier to find the people that are going to help us in that. Right. Um, and sort of once, once we get, once we get sort of like connected in on a deeper level, then it's almost like, um, it makes me think of Wally, right? <laughs> like this, these little like homing devices that are beeping off to like find our people and, 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 and pull them to us or help us find where they are. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and lots of different ways for that to happen, of course. But, um, I feel like almost like in a way we're kind of overconnected right now. It seems like, you know, with social media and everything, it's like, um, I don't know. Like, as you were talking, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't really want to get more connected. I'm connected enough. (laughs) Well, so this is the thing too, right? Because I feel like, because I wonder whether a lot of the, and that sort of, by by the same token of that, that headline, right? That an email list is not a tribe. Right. Um, Because I think what we're doing. Social media interaction is not. Right. I mean, it can be. It can can be. But it isn't necessarily. But a lot of times it's not. And a lot of times we're using it as a sort of um, stand in for authentic connection. Right. Um, And so then it makes us feel stressed out and pulled in different directions and frayed instead of grounded. And together. Yeah. And even right? more cut off, too, because there's mm. there's something that sense of, like, being alone in a crowded room. Yeah. You know, that you totally. get that I think comes from that. Well, I'm here and I'm with people and I'm sort of participating on this surface level, but I'm not really right. engaged on a deeper level where it feels meaningful. Right. And so the result of that is you feel alone and disconnected. Absolutely. And it's worse when you're with a bunch of people and you're sort of making that service and you're like, I should be feeling connected right now, but I'm not what's wrong with me. Yeah, no, totally. So I, so I think there is, because it is so deeply human, right? We're grasping for it and we're being given these sort of sad stand-ins, um, or partial Mm stand-ins and, um, 
and I think that like finding that that connection that connection with what came before and what's coming after is a way to be like authentically connected into time and space um, and to to have a better hope of building deeper connections from them right because it there's a lot that goes into that um, there's a lot that goes into that practice right there's the there's the relationship because it is a relationship, right? Um, with spending time with those that have gone before. Um, it's not just about, I mean, there's a lot of cultures that practice ancestor veneration and it, it like any belief system or practice system can become kind of hollow, right? This idea that you just sort of like pass by the altar, drop an, drop an orange light, some right. incest, ring a, incest, incense, ring a bell and move on. Right. Um, but it is about spending time and cultivating cultivating relationship there, being mm-hmm. still. So there's definitely a, there's a huge meditative aspect to it because um, it's really easy to be like, okay, I'm just sitting here, I don't hear anybody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Instead yeah. of so there's like, and if we're too busy and distracted, then we're not going to be able to um, we're not going to be able to to tune in and hear what anybody has on the other side has to say anyway. Right. So, um, so there's got to be this level of connecting to ourselves, I think, um, to be able to make authentic connection. So if someone's already got a meditation practice, is this something they could just sort of add into that? It is. I mean, it can be, so here in my house, when you come into my entryway and, um, this is so cool because feng shui wise, like that is the the place of wisdom and family is mm. this this part of the house. Right. So in our house, when you walk in, there's family pictures in the entry hall, all over the entry hall, and then I have an altar at the end of it, um, and uh, I've got like a little lighted tree, like those little lighted trees that you can get for the mm-hmm. holidays or whatever. I have a little lighted tree, and I made some like. Christmas ornaments that had pictures of spiritual and intellectual ancestors. So like, so I have one of Frida Kahlo, I have one of Gertrude Stein. Um, I have one of this like, like bear Baba kind of woman. (laughs) I have a a representation of Fu Hao. So, so, so I've got my sort of spiritual and intellectual um, ones on that little tree. And then I've got my family members pictures hanging on the walls. Um, and and there's a place to burn incense and there's a place to give offerings. So um so it's just about and they've been they've been on me for like a month anyway, like, hey, you never come see us anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So um I so don't have week, anything like that though. I don't like whatever spirits and whatever don't talk to me. So <laughs> yeah, Well, I, I think it's know. something that comes it's, when you spend time to sit down and listen, then it gets louder, right? I think it's and people so as part of a meditation practice, meditation um, is just about sort of like getting rid of the distractions and not letting the thoughts sort of hijack us and take us away somewhere. Um, and in that process, we start being able to see the difference between the observer and what we're observing, right? We observe our thoughts, we observe our emotions, and then we start identifying more with the observer, as opposed to the thoughts and the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the benefits or uh, one of the benefits that will come out of a meditation practice. And once, when we're, when we're practicing letting those distractions go, then it becomes much easier to hear that still small voice. And the more we listen to the still small voice, the louder it becomes, right? So 
um, it can get to a point where, um, where it's quite loud. <laughs> so you can hear it even when you're trying not to. <laughs> and I have spent a lot of time avoiding this year. Like I think a lot of people have, um, there's been, it's just like, oh, it's too big. I can't deal with it right now. I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you, right? So um, so I think, I, I know I'm not alone in actively avoiding um, sitting down and getting quiet and really paying attention to what's going on uh, these days. But right now, this week, the veil is very thin. So um, so they were incredibly insistent. And so <laughs> so I've actually uh, sat down and journeyed with them twice this week. But it's, it's something that can start in whatever way is comfortable or feels natural or organic to you, right? Um, like the conductor in uh, Mozart in the Jungle that has like a file, file folder that they glued pictures of composers in and they just kind of say hello when they walk by and have their coffee in the morning. And um, so it can just be things like that, right? If if there's a writer that you really admire or an artist that you really admire or an activist that you really admire, um, maybe getting a couple of their quotes and mm. a picture of them can be a very easy way to start, um, to start, to start a sort of ancestor, um, an ancestor altar and just spending time, um, decide how often you're going to visit, right? Are you going to sit down Saturday afternoon and have a cup of tea with them. Like just kind of decide how often you're going to do that. Um, and now is a really great time to start because it's really easy to connect. Mm. Right. So it's sort of like free communication on eHarmony or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a lot easier to connect right now than it can be in other times, uh, other times Mm. of the year. Yeah. Okay. So kind of building on just this being ancestor, ancestor week, essentially, um, and, uh, that I have been actively avoiding mine (laughs) for quite a while. And, um, so this week I did, uh, sit, I've sat down twice so far, um, and I've got, it's full moon tonight, so I'll be doing some more stuff, um, for that, but I've got a lot of stuff to do today. Um. But uh, one of the things that was really striking me this week as I was tuning in was um, I was really struck by how many peoples no longer live on the earth, right? Like, like entire cultures, entire that cultures that have been wiped out. Um, and there's different ways for that to happen. Obviously, there's there's violent ways that it happens. Um, so there's clear oppression and injustice happening in those spaces. Um, and like what we did to get on this continent, for example, right? There was a genocide of, of many indigenous tribes for us to be here in the first place. Um, so there's that kind of erasure that happens. But then there's also the things that happen when, when you get cultures that are uh, trading together and living together, right? There's just going to be this... If you think about Mesopotamian cultures, for example, there's all these... The Canaanites and the Moabites and the Jeb- you know what I mean? Like there's all these cultures that, that were in Mesopotamia and some of them were wiped out, right? Um, there's lots of orders for genocide. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, some of them were wiped out, but then there were others that just sort of ended up disappearing through the process of trade, intermarrying, this kind of stuff, right? And if you think about like... They sort of melted into other right. cultures. 
Yeah. So, um, so there will just be, and we see this happening all the time. There's, there's, there's things that it's like, this is the cool way to do things now. And then there's another way to do things. And, um, uh, and there will be, so, so it's, it's one of those things that kind of happens naturally when you've got lots of cultures in the same place that are interacting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be there's going to be certain ways of doing things that end up sort of becoming dominant, and the other ones fall away. Um, and I don't think that that's always happening. Um, I don't think that's always happening in an oppressive, unjust way. I think it's just what happens, right? Like mm-hmm. in our own lives, there are things we used to do that we don't anymore. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, so, uh, and so if you're growing and shifting and changing, then, then those things are going to happen. There's going to be things that you used to do that you don't do anymore. Um, so, um, so I was thinking about that this week and how many peoples we don't even know about, like we talk about the Celts, for example, um, on the British Isles, but the Celts themselves, I found out this year, had come in and taken over. We know absolutely nothing about the cultures that came before the Celts, right? So we know very little about the Celts because they didn't, they were an oral culture. Um, And so, uh, and if you think about the cultures that were coming before that, if they're orally based and they're they're nature based and they have this sort of... They're not going to leave a lot of evidence behind for people to learn about their culture. Exactly. There's this like leave no trace sort of cultural mentality um, so they would have worked very hard to make sure that you couldn't see that they had been somewhere, especially right. if they were nomads. Right. Um, and it's something that uh, Paige Sullivan and I have talked about before. She's an artist here in the Valley um, who does beautiful work. And she has a very, very deeply spiritual, almost shamanistic sort of creative process. Um, but she and I have talked, too, about how in the way of the goddess, this whole idea of the sacred and the profane... Um, this sort of like, oh, this place is a holy place and this is the marketplace, you know, like that sort of idea is a very patriarchal idea, actually. Um, and she was saying that in the way of the goddess, there weren't temples because there was the concept that this place was holy and that place was not, did not exist, right? right. It was all because spirit is infused in everything, then every place becomes a holy place, right? So everything has to be treated with the utmost of honor and respect and these kinds of things. So there would, so there's not, that means there's not temples. There's not religious artifacts. There's not, right? Because everything. I love that idea. When I was in our history class um, in college, there was this one painting that just struck me so much. And I, like I've been looking for for years and haven't been able to find it, but it was basically this um like a a priest praying in the forest in front of this tree mm. and then in the distance is a cathedral right but it was that same idea of like god is everywhere you know all yeah. places are holy that sort of thing which no, totally. i just loved yeah and it was so <laughs> one of my first like shaman portals is this grand old tree right and i go into the I go into the trunk. There's like a little room in the trunk, and then I I go under from there. Um, so it's it's one of the portals that I use. And when I was in Glastonbury uh, last year, right, so I got to see Solstice at Stonehenge, and went. My friend took me to Glastonbury tour. Um, and once I got on top of that hill, there's a there's a tower from an old cathedral. Mm-hmm. 
on top mm. of this little hill. And once I got to the top, I realized that my tree used to be there. I thought it was just this tree I'd made up. You see what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but the ground told me, I mean, I could tell that my tree used to, I was like, oh my gosh, this is where my tree used to be. And the ground was like, yes, the tree was here before they started building their cathedrals on top of it. Right. They tore the tree out and built their cathedral on top of it. So, so it was this, it was this very old ancient holy tree. So very sort of like avatar idea, Uh right. Of the, and, and the tree is a big symbol of the goddess. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 that, that whole, like, oh, we're going to put it, (laughs) we're going to put a cathedral here. Like this is, that's kind of a new invention. right? Right. Um, and you didn't, you didn't have that before. So if we're, if we're thinking about, cultures that that had this idea that all places are holy and sacred and they're oral cultures well then there's really not going to be anything we're not going to have these artifacts left behind that we can try to glean information from um and so your sense is that these ancestors are wanting to be acknowledged or right like i was hearing the sort of like call for recognition for and it was like how do i even honor these um, and I know that's in my lineage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the experiences that I had while I was in England and the way that the land was responding to me, because I was seeing villages being burned, right? So, um, so I know that's in my lineage. I was like, how do I honor them if I don't even know their name? I don't even know the culture name, hmm. let alone individual names, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything. I don't know music. I don't know food. I don't know, like all these things that we, we think of to honor that, honor the ancestors, honor their culture, keep those traditions alive. I, there's no, how, <laughs> right? Okay. So, um, so I was like feeling a sort of call for recognition and honoring, but then not really knowing how to answer that. Um, and the response that I had gotten was just to honor, go and honor. And as I honor them, right? Like, okay, I don't know who you are, but I'm here, right? Um, as I honor them, then I'll get to know them. Mm. Um, and mm. as I get to know them, then I can grieve where needs to be grieved and, um, celebrate where needs to be celebrated. Right. But, um, but it got me really thinking about, um, like hearing this, this, this cry for recognition, which I understand. And I think again, there, there, we could learn a lot from their ways, right? Like obviously we really, we, we need to come back into balance with our environment and learn how to like honor and take care of the earth before she shakes us off her back, like fleas, you know? Um, and so I couldn't help but wonder if this urge to be known, if there's some way that this is feeding some of these white supremacist movements that we're also seeing surge up right now, right? Mm-hmm. In this like, misheard, misunderstood, misdirected kind of way. Um, because, uh, for a lot of people when they die, just like for us, if we're, if there's a trauma that happens to me until I go back and heal that trauma, right. There's a part of me that's stuck there. So, um, if I'm sexually molested at five and I haven't healed that, there is a part of me that stays five and experiences the world as a five-year-old, right? So, mm. um, so for a lot of these cultures that were wiped out, there's going to be a lot of ancestors that are kind of stuck in that place, right? Um, because that's where the, the clock stopped for them. Right. So, so there is a sort of urgency to be recognized, uh, 
especially now, I feel like there's like this extra desperation coming yeah. from things. That's something. So something that I thought of a few months ago that's kind of related to that, but kind of different in terms of this. Um, you know, because as we're seeing all this sort of this surge in white supremacy really coming to surface, I mean, it's always, it's always been, been there, there, but it was sort of un, you know, right. kept down like, oh no, that's bad. White supremacy is bad, but now it's sort of like getting this surge in popularity and stuff. And and I was like, wow, what's happening? Are we going backwards? You know, what's going on? And finally, I realized that what I think is going on is that on a subconscious or conscious level, people. And, and I think, you know, white people, white culture specifically, is they see the rise of, you know, the quote-unquote minority groups, right, that are no longer minorities. They're no longer being oppressed the way that they were. And that is seen as a threat. And if you look at throughout human history, what happens? Somebody comes to a new place, they wipe out the old people, take over their stuff, you know, this is this is something that's been happening throughout human history of this, you know, the strangers come in and, you know, rape and pillage and conquer and um, and subjugate. And so, um, you know, I, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, if this these other people are coming in to your area and they're starting to become stronger, um you know, no one wants to be the subjugated, right? And right. when you see the world in that way, if there are the the conquerors and the conquered, or everyone wants to be the conquerors. They don't want to be the conquered. And and so I think where there's an opportunity for us to shift, like 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 the human race to, and, and you know, this is something we a lot of us have felt there's some sort of shift coming yeah. that needs to happen. And I think it's around. You know, getting away from that that black and like white, either or, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's the conquerors and the conquered, us versus them. You know, our tribe, and then you know the the infidels or the whatever the, the others, right? Um, and so, you know, if we start to see all humans as one tribe, then that shifts. Then you don't necessarily. You don't have to assume that they're a threat. Now, of course, human beings being human beings, you do still have to watch out, right? It doesn't mean you, you're not cautious. But but if we start to see us all as one tribe of many different types, then yeah. it, it shifts the that And that paradigm. was some of the stuff that I got this morning <clears throat> when I get in. And I, I want to spend more time with it because I... I wasn't fully satisfied in light of the article we're going to talk about in the next segment. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, um, and I think too, a part of getting out of the victim, victim, victor mentality, right. Is, is first of all, recognizing that not, not all cultural exchange exchange or not all, again, you know, like we talked about meaning of the different cultures, right. And one fading away and the other one, coming into the foreground happened in a violent, oppressive way, right? It was just, I, I mean, you know, like, it was just like, okay, well, this is what people are doing now and that's what people were doing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't, so I don't think that those shifts and changes always happen in a violent way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, a, a lot of them have, and history has, right? That's certainly something that the, the patriarchy does is move in and conquer as opposed to come in and live with, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but I think it's really interesting. It's sort of ironic actually that, um, I saw this flyer with, there was, there was a picture of it on social media. Um, somebody had seen this flyer. Oh, I can't remember what city they'd found it in downtown. And it was like this picture of a Roman statue and it was something like something Europa, I don't know, but it was clearly like a white supremacist flyer, right? Really? And I, found, I found it really um, ironic, um, and to me, sort of explained some of the panic that some of these groups are in, right? Um, because the Romans were the ones that did kill and conquer so many of the indigenous tribes of Northern right. Europe, um, and like. You know, a sort of like freckle face, ginger haired guy is screaming, you know, we need to like save white culture, clutching this flyer in his hand um, with this Roman guy on it. It was like, hey, that guy's got like olive skin, a big nose, and curly hair. Like, how close do you think y'all's ethnic? profile is do you know what i mean like these so you're clutching this guy saying we can't let them take us over and those are the ones that killed your ancestors (laughs) like it's it's this sort of like sort of weird irony or whatever about a lot of the imagery that i'm seeing float around with some of the white supremacist movements how the um in school we were taught that the the roman you know greek and roman that that's like the ancestors of, you know, right? That they wa- began modern white people, if you Western will. civilization, right, or exactly. whatever. But yeah, but Greek civilization, and I mean that's how they title the textbooks, right? You know, I right. think it is like the beginning of Western civilization. Yeah, or totally. Like Western that. civ classes, right? Civil exactly. Exists. And it does all come out <laughs> of this like Greek and Roman. But what's really interesting, my my father and I, Law and I, have talked about this a couple of times. That uh, and as a as a Chinese man. He was like, I don't understand, like, how, like, he, to him, it was all very arbitrary that they started calling things Western civilization because, like, Greek civilization was very much Mesopotamian in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sort of off the cuff, when he and I first started having this discussion, probably about three years ago, sort of off the cuff, I was like, well, I think the, the Greeks probably shifted it to a patriarchal dynamic, and that's the difference, was that it went from being more balanced to being... Mm-hmm. Uh, overtly patriarchal, right? Hmm. Um, and it, it had been happening for a while, but I think the Greeks were like, okay, we're going to do this now. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And then the Romans made it like... It to a whole nother Right, level. seriously. They yeah. like turned it into a spear and then, you they know... They like systematized it. <laughs> exactly. So, but it's, it's, if you're looking at Greek culture and Mesopotamian culture, it's it's very hard to differentiate. Um, and for some of the research that I was doing for the, the book that I'm writing now about excavating the goddess from the Abrahamic tradition, tradi- tradition, um, Tikva, oh, what is her last name? It's hyphenated. Anyway, um, one of the things that she asserts, she's a, she's a, um, uh, a Jewish feminist scholar. And one of the things that she asserts was that it was the Hellenization of, Judaism that inter- that officially introduced patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? So one of her theses is that it's not inherently patriarchal, but the Hellenization of it is what made it patriarchal, right? But if you're 
if you're looking at the cultural things, and you see that if you're in that part of the world, the Greeks and the Turks are constantly arguing about who did baklava first, who did hummus first, who did tzatziki first. You know, they eat the same foods. Their music sounds the same. Like, you know, they, their, their traditional instruments look very similar. Their traditional costumes look very similar. So... Um, so it makes it that much more funny, right? If right. you realize, like, this is actually Mesopotamian, which is the Middle East and the Arab world, right? right? Like, Greece. that is actually Greece what we're... more like those folks. Yes. Though, the, like, yeah, the, the Western... Exactly. European. Because, the <laughs> like, so many of the indigenous tribes of Northern Europe would in the way that they interacted with the world are far more similar to indigenous tribes from this continent than they are to what we call European or Roman civilization, right? So they, they, were, they were very nature-based. They were um, matriarchal in line. They You're were, trying to like the Germans and right. the Germans. The tribes that would have been in yeah. Scandinavia and Germany and Holland and the British Isles, right? Yeah. Those, those tribes. Oh, I have a great book I have to lend you. Cool. <laughs> Love great books. Yeah. It's called The Lightbearer, and it's about, it, it's a fiction. It's like a historical fiction kind of thing. So the story's made up, but it's very much based on you know, like in the actual, um, world, right. right of that right, time. Right. Yeah. And it is about the main character is, um, a woman in, uh, Germanic tribes. And then, um, and then the Romans are coming to conquer and, right. and so she ends up going to that world. And then there's also another character that's, you know, Roman and, and yeah, so it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. And especially <laughs> like Northern Europe, they were really caught, right? Cause you had the, you had the Vikings coming down from the North mm-hmm. and the Romans coming up from the South. Like they were really stuck in the middle. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, but it's, but it's, it's really interesting to think about like how this, um, this push from the ancestors to be known and recognized. I, I can see how some people can pick that up. Um, and then misinterpret it in these ways if they're not under, if they're not you know sitting down and really like thinking oh I have about, to protect my right. my tribe my people my right. culture yeah. yeah and I think we're really at a place where we need to learn how to lay that sort of mentality down mm-hmm. right um, and find a way to really honor who came before us think about who's coming after us. Um, but not see, because in my musings this week too, I was really thinking about like, okay, well, what, what would that look like? Right. If you see, if you see these invaders coming, you've already been attacked from the invaders from the North. You see, you've heard stories of the invaders coming in from the South, like, um, and how, how would that look? Like, what would you, um, how would you respond to that? And it makes sense to me that there would be this movement to protect the cultural things, to sort of like almost institutionalize things, to sort of step up how you teach your children so they don't forget the traditions and stuff like this. Um, and um, and then at the same time, if I if I think about like sort of really thinking it's awesome when you meet people that have kept these old ways of doing things alive, right? It's like, wow, it's amazing. They're, they're using it. They're doing it the same way that they did it 500 years ago or whatever. But then 
you know, if you were to like live with that person that never doesn't want to use email and doesn't right. want, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's cool that you do that, but I don't want to live like that. I mean, cause if you think about that sort of like get off my lawn kind of mentality right. that comes with it, you know? Um, so, so I was really thinking and it is kind of, it's hard to articulate cause it is a, a, a little bit of like a pile of tangled coat hangers or whatever, but, um, that sort of like what that would what that would look like how when we get into these spaces of wanting to protect our culture that we'll end up sort of digging our heels in not growing or moving forward anymore and when we really feel threatened and i know i've um I, i've had this happen at several different times in my life you you feel like you know immediately think about like stuff that happens in junior high or whatever and the mean girls are doing this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, you think I'm so crappy? You think my clothes are crappy? You think you're so cool? Well, let me tell you what your problems are. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we get into this. It's very easy to go into this place when we feel threatened to sort of, like, go into delusions of our own superiority and say, oh, you think you're better than me? No, no, no. I'm better than you. Do you know what I mean? Um, so um, so I was just really, I was really thinking about a lot of that this week in, uh, in my interactions with the ancestors. And ha- and so that's been one of the things that I've been going in and having conversations about is like, so how do we, how do we work with this in a way that's healthy and helpful and going to be recognizing what's going on, but also helping us move forward as opposed to just digging our heels in and staying stuck. So, uh, you just introduced me to this, uh, interesting, it's actually a phenomenon that we've seen before, but I didn't know there was a term for it and it's called spiritual bypassing. So why don't you tell us what that is? (laughs) Yeah, I read this article this week and it fits so nicely with the stuff that I've been kind of thinking about. So, um, uh, this, and we'll link to it in the show notes, um, but Uh, Pretty early on in the article, they use a definition um, from Robert Masters and says, spiritual bypassing is a very persistent shadow of spirituality, manifesting in many ways, often without being acknowledged as such. Aspects of spiritual bypassing include exaggerated detachment, emotional numbing and repression, overemphasis on the positive, anger phobia, blind or overly tolerant compassion, weak or too porous boundaries, lopsided development, so cognitive intelligence often being far ahead of emotional or moral intelligence, debilitating judgment about one's negativity or shadow elements, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, and delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being. I love that last part. (laughs) And so this is, and we kind of talked about this, um, Last week, uh, in our anger episode, or last yeah. month, I guess, um, when you know you were talking about how you used to do the journaling, where you would just write out all your angry feelings and you know all this kind of thing, and at one point you start thinking, "Oh my gosh, am I manifesting this negativity in the world?" And right. and so you started censoring it, yeah. you know, your journaling until you found out that that wasn't a good thing, and 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 uh, and you see this a lot in like social media. In chat rooms and things like that, where someone's expressing anger 
or, you know, something bad that happened to them or some sort of negative energy type of thing. And then people start, uh, as she refers it to the light brigade, (laughs) the love and light brigade, that's what she refers to, (laughs) starts shutting it down and say, oh, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, everything from like, think more positive to, um, what are, I don't know, what are some of the other things that they say? Yeah, this sort of law of attraction <laughs> stuff, right? The sort of idea that, um, uh, oh, well, you know, you've shaped this. So, and you'd said before we started oh, the segment God. that the yes. one that's your personal oh, pet, peeve pet peeve is... Okay, yeah. So, so there's some people in the sort of the new age spiritual realm will have put forward this, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this uh, idea that we choose our lives before we come here. Like we, like everything that's happening to us, we've already decided it. We've already decided to live this life. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> like I am the kind of person I love to have fun and to be happy. And I would never intentionally choose to suffer. Like I just would not do that. That is not something I would ever do. And so I did, you know, and that's one of those things that people are like, well, you chose this. You're, you're here for a reason as though it's like somehow your fault from like before right. you were even born <laughs> right and and you get and sometimes um you know with in cultures that believe in reincarnation sometimes that you hear that too like oh that's your karma from another life or you know it's because you know something happened in a previous life and that's why this is happening now and and so it in one of the things that the article points out that i think is really kind of the key important thing is that it's taking on responsibility for external things that in reality you have no, no control, control over. over. Yeah, yeah. You have no control. It's like, and, and that's something we were talking about yet last time on when we we're talking about anger and sort of this, you know, I was at the time stuck in this thing of what am I doing wrong? Or why isn't God helping me? Why is this happening to me? You know, this kind of thing. And, and then finally went like, Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe this is just what's happening. And there's, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And, and, um, you know, when we stop trying to like find like the purpose or like sort of a higher meaning behind it and go, wait, this thing is bad. Yeah. And we should stop it. No, it's true. And I think, well, within the English language, we want to put blame. Like it's built into our language. And I think How that's so? the bigger problem. Um, because I think finding a higher purpose can be all well and good after, but not using that as a way to spiritual, spiritually bypass what's happening in the moment. Right. So I think that's part two of one of the ways that we can spiritual, spiritually bypass stuff is be like, Oh, well, you know, this is happening for a reason. And so that's a way to just sort of skip over all the the difficult, negative, messy, prickly emotions that we or someone else are having, um, tell them to find the higher purpose for it. Right. But within the English language, um, we can't say in English, the lamp fell off the table. We want to assign blame. And from a linguistic structure, we need to. We're like, the lamp didn't just fall off the table. Like, somebody pushed it or it got knocked or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. something had to happen for the lamp to fall off the table. We are not satisfied with the the sentence, the lamp fell off the table. We need to assign blame somewhere. There has to be a cause. Right. Right. And there are other languages that don't have that. It's perfectly fine to say the lamp fell off the table. 
right? So, um, so it's interesting to think about the way that uh, language shapes our concepts of things. Well, right? that's really so, how people use the language because you can literally say the lamp fell off the table. But it but is one of those things in the want, language that we right. won't accept that in the language, right? We won't accept it in the language. So, um, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of conversation around that uh, in light of violence against women right now, right? And the way that we've been using the language to say, you know, this, these women were raped as opposed to men are raping women, <laughs> right? Like where it's like, oh, it's a sort of nebulous thing that just kind of happens if you're a woman walking down the street, like, you know, it's like, boom, you're raped. You had no idea it was going to happen on a Tuesday, like as opposed to seeing who is doing that. Well, do then in that case, we're, that's the opposite doing, of what yeah. you're saying. We're doing, in that case, we're... The, we're, we're using the language to, to not assign blame. to make it very nebulous, right? right? But if you look at if you're breaking those sentences down and the way that they're put together, we're putting them together in different ways than we normally do. Do you know what I'm saying? So, um, so we have to kind of do some some linguistic mm-hmm. gymnastics to make that happen. Um, and people are calling it out now, which is great. But um, uh, but yeah, it's this. Um, so we want to find this blame, which we've spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about the shame blame game and how that kind of keeps us stuck in the place where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think what was interesting too, about how she describes um, the spiritual bypassing is it's, it's there's sort of a, like a detachment, like at the same time that you're like finding this cause and saying, Oh, it's because of this or that at the same time, you're sort of detaching from the emotion and, and sort of trying to like, like there's this thing I caught myself doing when my son would get upset and I would try to calm him down. I would try to get him to stop expressing when he was angry. Right. And, and I finally realized I was doing that because his anger made me feel uncomfortable. Right. And, and so I, I see that happening a lot, you know, with some of these conversations on social media where someone says, you know, expresses their anger, expresses, you know, some way they've been oppressed or, you know, has experienced injustice. And then people try to kind of shush them and go, don't be so negative. And, and, you know, well, if you were just nicer about the way you talked about that, people would be more willing to listen to you and your story. And, and it's, it's really this, I think it stems from this being uncomfortable yeah. With uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. And because we're not comfortable with those feelings, we're not comfortable with just allowing ourselves to be in their presence, whether yeah. they're inside of us or being expressed by somebody else. We want to push them away, shush them, and, you know, and then, but but we don't want to look like we're right. shushing them. We want to look like we're being really spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's why I love yeah. that last line, like, a delusion of having arrived at a higher state of being or something like that. And it's like, and especially, and I cannot relate to that because, you know, having been on a a spiritual and personal growth path at a certain point, you know, you've done all this work, right. And you start to go, shouldn't I be more enlightened by now? Like, why am I still having, you know, these same icky feelings and stuff that I used to have? Why am I still struggling (laughs) with my modem, for God's sake? (laughs) Like, why am I still angry? I should be enlightened, gosh darn it. I should should be beyond all of that petty, 
you know, mortal crap. (laughs) It's really interesting, right? Because I remember saying this um, when my, when I went to Sunday school with my aunt years ago when we were home for a visit. um, And, you know, she, I was raised Southern Baptist, so she's at a Southern Baptist church and they were talking about like, oh yes, when, when, when we don't have the struggle and you're just so right with God that it all just moves your way and grace and ease and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was like, where do you, where are we getting these ideas? Because there's no, there's no, our bodies don't reflect that to us. Right. If my, if my tendons and muscles aren't pulling on my bones and causing friction and tension against my bones, my bones will turn to powder. Right. They need that. And my immune system, if it is not fighting small battles with microbes, then, then I can be killed by the, the commonest of bacterium. Right. right? So like, so there's nothing in our biology that reflects that things are supposed to be easy and we're never supposed to have a struggle and it's never supposed to be difficult. Like our very health is based on being able to meet those challenges. Right. So it's very, nature shows us this all the time. So I don't know where we get this idea from. Right. It's really interesting. And it's like like this nice little fantasy of wouldn't it be nice if everything was easy and we didn't have to struggle anymore and maybe it might also be really boring (laughs) i don't know maybe it's great i don't know on this plane when you are yeah when you are going through difficult times Mm. it's it's you know one of those like it would be great for a little while Right. Like, that's why I often think, I'm like, what if I no longer had to work, I could do whatever I wanted, you know, with my time, with my life. I'd be like, I'd go on vacation for, like, at least three months. Like, just to, like, de-stress and, like, do all these things that I want to do. And then eventually I would get bored. Right, yeah. After about a year or so, I would probably be like, like, okay, okay, I'm done, I've seen the world. Now what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's just built into the way that we are. It right. really, really is. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's a sign that people need breaks. You know, you definitely, definitely. can overwork yourself and over... Yeah. Be, and our you know, culture is in tremendous danger of that. We just yeah. don't... Um, we go way too far, too fast, too long, too much. Um, and it shows because we're yeah. slipping behind in a lot of different statistics when we're compared to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is not to work harder and more and longer. It really, really right. isn't, right? Yeah. There has to be the balance. But um, kind of back to this uh, this idea of the, the spiritual bypassing and things like this, like, um, and, and to answer, because then you're, so this is this rub that I've been, um, trying to find people to talk about it with for like a year now. (laughs) Um, And every time I try to have the conversation, it gets shut down. Um, It got shut down this morning, actually, um, again. So, uh, and it's, it's, so it's, it's kind of frustrating. We'll have to do it on the kitchen table out Right. So we'll have to, so hopefully this, there are other people, I know that there are other people that are wrestling with this because the Mm -hmm. the writer of this article is also wrestling with this. And, Mm -hmm. um, cause I love this thing where she says, here's the thing. I believe in love and light, but I have zero interest in using that language to allow me to live in a pseudo spiritual bubble and deny reality, my own or that of others. I am interested in authentic love, authentic spirituality, truth, and justice. This sometimes means fierceness and calls to right action. And when that is what a situation is calls for, bringing it to bear is love and light and practice, right? Um, And so here's my rub, because I do believe that we choose our lives. I do believe we make these soul contracts. 
And I'm really like, okay, so where is the line, right? Like I, we were having a, a conversation in one of my sacred arts groups about, um, uh, basically like magic directed at political things. Um, and one lady was saying that, uh, she did that for, for a while. Um, and then the, the magic started going sour. So she and I were having like a, a private message conversation about it. And, um, and it is one of the things that, um, I've been, you know, learning more and more about soul contracts and, um, and realizing even when people are doing really terrible things that are very upsetting, like, trying to do some sort of spiritual intervention to bind them or halt them in some way. Right. Um, I don't know what their soul contract is. I don't know if they're supposed to be doing this, do you know what I'm saying? And like how Mm -hmm. it fits into different places. So it's almost like political magic. I, the way I'm understanding it is it's kind of like a spiritual codependency, right? Where you're like meddling in other people's affairs and trying to like manipulate their life over the way that, that, that I think it should be happening and the things mm-hmm. that I think they should be focused on. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to trusting in the process mm-hmm. and sort of backing off, right? Yeah. Well, there's, that's, that's the, the rub, right? Is how involved you need to be. How right. much control do you need to take? So where because is if you sort think of like, about it, I mean, but I'm not, everybody's doing, everybody impacts the world in some way right. through their actions, right? Just by being here and interacting with people, you're having some sort of an effect. And so it's like, well, where does the line, where do you draw the line between I'm having a reasonable and natural impact on my environment versus meddling? Right. 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 And like, I am not, um, if we're looking, and, and I also believe in karma and I do, you know, um, for a long time I was like, oh, I'm, I mean, I believe in reincarnation and past lives and these kind of things, but I, al- I always felt like this, this life has enough to deal with. You don't need to be messing with any of that stuff. Right. Mm. Um, until I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was having these like surges of fear and there were, there were no thoughts attached to it. Hmm. Right. So I, I came to understand that it was something coming through from a pat from a former life. So mm-hmm. I did, I had to find someone to do a regression with me so that I could deal with that. Right. Um, so I do believe in karma. I do believe in the reincarnation. I do believe that we're choosing a lot of, um, I do believe that I chose a white Southern Baptist family to start mm-hmm. my journey with this time mm-hmm. because they were the ones that were going to create the soil I needed to grow and bear the fruits that I needed to bear. Right. Mm-hmm. So I believe that we, we choose these certain markers because. Right. Well, and I think, and I actually kind of. Well, let me, believe, so let me, so let me think. So like, I, so I do think we choose these certain markers and I've had converse again, I've tried to have this conversation several times and it always gets shut down. But, um, cause when I was talking with someone about the whole, like someone from the love and light brigade that was like, well, everyone is choosing their experience and having the experience they want to have. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? There's a huge difference between how a black man experiences America and, and how a rich white man experiences America or how a transgender Latino, uh, like gender fluid person experiences America, right? Like these are very distinct experiences. So obviously they count or we wouldn't be like, oh no, I want that one. Do you know what I'm saying? So to pretend like, oh, well, like we're all spirits underneath it all. Do you know what I mean? And that some, and this is one of the things that says in that definition is valuing, um, uh, what is devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, 
right? So this idea that like, oh, we're all souls, so all that doesn't matter. It's not real. It's all part of the Maya. It's all part of the illusion. It's all part of the lie of this planet or whatever. Like, obviously it does matter or there wouldn't have been different choices. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like different different circumstances are going to give us different challenges and lessons, right? So it's that idea that what happens in the afterlife, either before we got here or after we pass on, that 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 stuff is more important than what's happening right now. So, you know, so right, whether it's, it's, you know, oh, this is all being determined by some past life or the people who are like, uh, I've got to do whatever I need to do to get into heaven when I die. You know, it's that sort of putting that, you know, the things from the past and the future as being more important right. than right now. And it's not, I think the answer is it's not that those things don't exist or that they aren't important. It's just that we need to acknowledge the importance of the presence as being right. the present as being equally valid. Exactly. And when you were saying that stuff about how you do believe in, you know, soul contracts and, you know, past lives and stuff like that. I, uh, I was like, well, it's not that I don't believe in those things. Like, I believe those things may be true. But that doesn't mean that, like, every single thing that's happening to me in my life right. is because of something in the, you know, like, right. and, and, and in stories, you know, there's always oftentimes that question of, is your destiny predetermined or do you determine your right. own destiny? And I think the actual answer is a bit of both. Right. right. I think so, too. I think we, we, we choose the circumstances. Right? Certain things, right? Certain and pieces like, are, like, sort of right. predisposed. Right. Yeah, so but I think then we're other choosing things circumstances we have choices. where there's probably contracts we've made with certain people, right? Um that they will be in our lives. But I, but like, so here's where that rub comes in. Like where, so where is the line then between this contract that needs to be fulfilled and our responsibility to social justice and stopping injustice and oppression, right? Like, because I'm not satisfied at all. If I think about like, uh, India, for example, which w- with with Hinduism and I think Jainism too, both believe in reincarnation, these ideas of karma and things like this. And India is seen as the birthplace of spirituality in a lot of different ways, right? Um, but yet there's this horrible oppression and injustice that's happening within the caste system. And it's justified by, well, that's their karma, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's just not satisfying to me, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that's how they started because of karma. But, like, don't I, – I, I believe we have some sort of – we have some kind of responsibility um, to, 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 to work against oppression and to, to look to um, – to work to, to, to equalize those kind of things, yeah. right? Like There um, was, so I had, a, I was doing some soul searching recently and I actually just reread a page that I wrote like this morning before I came here. Um, and it was the thing, because it was one of these things where it's actually kind of a cool exercise where if you have a goal and you're trying to figure out the why behind the goal and you say, why is this important to me? And then you take that answer, and then you say, why is that important to you? And then you take that answer and say, well, why is that important? And you go, like, seven layers deep with it. Nice. And and the thing that I got to at the very bottom was that I am against suffering. Like, I hate suffering, whether it's me, whether it's someone else. And then another thing I kind of scribbled in the margin at the bottom was like, well... 
sometimes I wanted to differentiate between Needless the thing you were suffering. talking earlier about things that cause you to grow, right? right? That sort of natural friction or challenge when we're challenged in a healthy way right. or when there, when there's a learning curve or when something is like a red flag, like, Hey, you need to pay attention to this. Something's wrong here. Right. right like right, those right. can be sort of healthy types of conflict. Right. But then, but when it's like an ongoing suffering that is just, you know, it has no constructive purpose, right? right. It's just <laughs> suffering. Yeah. That's wrong. Like that needs to be fixed. I remember the first time I got introduced to Buddhism, right? One of the, the first, uh, the first noble truth of Buddhism is that all existence is suffering. And I oh. wailed. I'm like, oh, I'm done I with that religion. I wailed. I'm like, how can you say that? You know? <laughs> and I, like, I really railed against it, you know? And and it was like, are you saying in, like, everyone does suffer? We all pass through suffering? Or, like, are you saying it, like, this is, like, the foundation of our existence? And, um, I mean, I really was unhappy with that. Yeah. Very unhappy with that. And I have since come to understand come to understand it in different ways, right? And listening to different Buddhist teachers like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and um, Pema Chodron and them talking about, like, okay, all existence is suffering, but we can learn to reduce unnecessary suffering, right? So yeah. there's, like, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how there's the suffering of the situation that you can't avoid, Right. But you, you can change the, the psychological suffering we put upon ourselves in the way mm-hmm. that we interact with that situation. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and maybe that's the answer to some of the things that we've, that, like a lot of this that we've been wrestling with this episode is re- becoming more discerning actually about recognizing um, that there are lots of things that are outside of us. And, and as individuals, we, we don't have a lot of impact on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Which means as spiritual people, we have got to quit light washing things. As one of the art, uh, as the article talks about light washing and spiritual bypassing and pretending like oppression doesn't exist or that people choose a life that means they're going to be the subjects of genocide or that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so we've got to get real about the fact that oppression exists and that there is something that as a group we can do about it. And we have responsibility to, for that. Right. Um, but then, uh, I think recognizing that sort of interplay between the situation that the individual cannot change and the psychological suffering that the individual adds on to the suffering that that burden is going to bring in and of itself. All right. So it's time for our integration station whoop, whoop. and, uh, which is my favorite part because this whole <laughs> podcast as we've been recording, I've been sitting here and this little voice in the back of my mind has been going, but what's the point? What, what are, you know, what are we trying to teach people here? What problem are we trying to solve? You know, what's, where's all this wonderful intellectual conversation about spirituality and spiritual bypassing and ancestors? Like, where's it all going? And, um, and then I realized that really what we're searching for here is an and solution, sort of the best of both worlds. And we've been struggling with this idea of, on the one hand, 
we want to acknowledge our spirituality and, you know, things like karma and past lives and, you know, the inherent, you know, goodness that's, you know, in the heart of every person and, you know, these wonderful spiritual things. Um, and then yet at the same time, we don't want to deny our present reality. We need to acknowledge that we need to you know, have respect for what's, you know, actually happening here in, in the present moment. And so and I really, the present reality sometimes brings, right, yeah. exactly. And how do you reconcile, you know, this wonderful, beautiful light and love message with, you know, the harsh realities that we're sometimes faced with. And so really the way to have both is, um, is really there's there's three aspects of it. One is something we alluded to earlier from the article, which is setting boundaries. And so that, in this context, that means saying, like in a relationship when you say, I love you, and that's not an okay way to treat me, right? right. And so we can take that same idea into social context, into issues of social justice, and say, well, you know, yeah, Donald Trump may have a soul in there somewhere, you know, and maybe he's, you know, destined for the afterlife just like the rest of us, but these things he's doing are not okay, right? And and so we can stand up and speak out and be fierce uh, in opposition to injustice and suffering, and when people are doing things that are not okay, you know, we can stand up against those things and still be a person who believes in love and light and um, whatever our spiritual values are. Right, right. Yeah. And then, um, and so the other thing we really talked about is that um, what we were struggling with is the responsibility. Like what kind, how much responsibility do we have over what's going on? And... It's, it is our responsibility through setting boundaries to interrupt negative patterns to, uh, you know, if someone is doing something that's, you know, if they're in a pattern of abuse, to stand up and, and try and stop that. But that's, and that's where our responsibility is, is to, um, is to stand up against it, to speak out against it, um, but it's not necessarily our responsibility to redeem someone who is, you know, off the spiritual path. And it's not necessarily our responsibility to punish someone who has done bad things, but it might be. Well, and, and I think punishing <laughs> and calling to accountability are two different things. Because right. I don't know how helpful punishment is, but... Um, calling to account. Right. Yes. Yes. You're right. Maybe that's wrong. I was, yeah. the thing I, I was saying earlier, you know, was yeah. like, uh, you know, sometimes when we see someone who's doing these bad things and we go, karma's going to catch up with that person, you Boy, know, they're going to get right. Yeah. And, and some, maybe I'm the person that's going to be a part of them <laughs> getting what's coming to them <laughs> and maybe not, you right. know? Um, and I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because there is so like, um, in my kids grew up in a Montessori school and, um, and they, one of the things they do is really differentiate between punishment and natural consequences. And punishment is when you, you get, you do something bad to someone in retaliation for something right. bad that, or to try and motivate them to behave in a certain way. Right. Whereas, um, natural right. consequences is when they experience 
the natural consequences of whatever they did. And so we we don't want to shield people from the natural consequences of the things that we're right. they're doing. And yeah, and I think part of our responsibility when we're looking at this sort of like this rub between um, spiritual principles and social justice, right, is um, like recognizing the ways that racism, sexism, privilege, right, like the, these the ways that systematic racism, systematic sexism, and privilege halt natural consequences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, there was, <laughs> there was something that someone posted on Facebook and you shared it and it was, it was pointing out the fact that when Kevin Spacey was accused by a man of sexual harassment, everyone was all over, like people believed him immediately and you know there was immediate consequences and then but then for all of these women you know over decades they had been abused but you know even when people spoke out they were able to just pay him off you know and right. and make them go away and so you know when you have these situations where people aren't experiencing the natural consequences of hurting people yeah then of course it's going to go on. on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if you've paid out $25 million to someone because they've been sexual harassing and then you renew their contract. Right. Guess what lesson they learned about how, how okay it is to sexually harass colleagues, right? Like, so, um, yeah, so I think really examining the way, and I think uh, the way we can sort of get that both and, right, is recognizing that yes, we're all spirits inside and, and all this kind of stuff. And we're all coming from the same bowl of light or whatever. Like, um, we hold on to that and hold on to someone's humanity while we bring in the consequences or hold them to consequences. Right. And I think that's that holding on to that humanity is what keeps us from punishing people. Cause my, right. my experience of punishment is that it's not about motivating me to change. It's about annihilating me and dominating me. That was my experience as a child being right. punished, is that it wasn't about me learning how to make better decisions. It was, it was reasserting about, authority. It, right. Reasserting authority. Exactly. Right. So, um, uh, so and, and, and I... And we've seen from the way that our penal system is working at the moment, right? Like, we have more people in prison than any other, like, ratio-wise, than any other country in the world. And we also have some of the highest crime rates. So, obviously, it's not working, right? right. Um, it does not motivate better better behavior. So, um, But if we're looking at these sort of different principles, I think that's how we can truly motivate someone, is to make sure that we're holding on to that humanity or that we do try to catch a glimpse of that the spirit that's inside and, um, and hope, hope that the consequences will help them learn their lesson. Right. But recognize that if that spirit is not in the driving seat, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Then there need to be boundaries to make sure that they stop. Right. Um, right. and that that's not allowed in certain spaces and that we're working, working to see, okay, what can I do? Like, where do I protect, perpetuate and, and allow that? Mm -hmm. And what can I do to help dismantle? Right. And that was, that was the other thing we we're talking about with responsibility in terms of what you are responsible for. One right. was, um, you know, speaking out against, um, things that are not okay. And then, um, uh, 
what you just said. Oh my God, I just totally blanked on it. It's been a long week. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so, um, choosing who you have in your life. Yeah. Right. That was the other thing you also, that each of us as individuals can have responsible for, responsibility for is in, um, deciding who we allow in our life. Right. You know, and if someone is toxic in your life, you can go, well, yeah, they have a spirit too, just like me, but they're not hanging out of my house. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So I, I think, and they say that in the definition in the article, right? Talking about that, um, overly tolerant compassion. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, and I think that's one of the, uh, actually Dr. Phil was talking about this on Stephen Colbert, um, I think he was on this week, so we should put that in the notes yeah, too. Yeah, we should find that. <laughs> um, the Dr. Phil interview, but, um, and just talking about like how, um, again, if, if someone's spirit is not in the driver's seat, that our attempts for interventions can actually make things worse if we're coming at it from an overly compassionate. Oh, right. Because you were saying, didn't Dr. Phil say that like, because uh, Colbert was like, how can we get him into Well, it was funny because he was like, I mean, uh, Dr. Phil works very hard not to go into politics, right? Okay. So, um, so, so Colbert was like, well, hypothetically, if someone was doing these things, and he like listed these very specific things that Trump That's was Trump. doing. Um, and so Dr. Phil was like, well, hypothetically, if you had a person that was engaging in this kind of behavior. Um, but he talked about how, um, yeah, that the... the uh, if, if you have someone that's sociopathic, right, and you're, you have them, they're going to use therapy, for example, as a way to just learn how to mimic behavior. Right. 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 Um, and get better at oppressing and manipulating as Be- opposed to getting, learning how to, learning yeah. how to behave Yeah, because better. people, um, you can't force someone to change. That's something that right. I've learned is that you can't, if the person doesn't want to change, then all your efforts to try and get them to change, to try and redeem them or whatever, it's not going to do yeah, any totally. good. Yeah. And so, um, so that's where, you know, you have to sort of say, okay, this person, you know, if there's someone that is open to change, then that's, you know, somewhere where you could potentially help them. But if it's clear that they just are not open to it, then, you know, don't take that on as your responsibility. Right. Right. And what was that saying? No one to hold him, no one to fold him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no one to walk away and no one to run. <laughs> so glad that you could join us today. And we are here to start a conversation, not be the conversation. So we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire. Uh, you can come to the Facebook page, find Kitchen Table Alchemy, the group. Um, and that's a great place to connect with other people, uh, talk about what we've been talking about, also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be. And Pinterest, find us on Pinterest. So that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest. And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's that's what I like. <laughs> so, yeah. So we've loved having you. Y'all come back now, you hear? here. <laughs>